Welcome to Elevate. I'm so happy you're here with me today, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to feel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends. You're in for a treat. And as always, thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. What is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of Elevate. Today, I'm very, very, very excited to bring on one of my clients, Miss Angela, to share her story. I do want to start from the beginning, but first, Angela, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell people about you, your mom, what you do for work. Tell them about your lifestyle. I, my name is Angela. Um, I'm a mother of two boys and I work in probation and community corrections as a case manager. And I've done that for over 20 years. Amazing. So I want to go back to how you first started on your health and fitness journey. What was the moment that you had and you were like, this has got to change? It was about mm, six months after my father passed away. And I pretty much had eaten my feelings for six months and was just done and over it. it and the weight had packed itself on. And I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Amazing. So if you can remember back to then, what did you do initially to start? Initially, um, I was part of a diabetes program. Um, so we were counting, um, our macros and how much exercise we got every week. And then it just progressed from there. And so how long, um, how long did you do that group for? A year. Okay. And what were some of the progress markers that you made during the time? Um, I had lost um, almost 50 pounds, I think, in that first year. Um, and my uh, A1C went down. All my uh, blood work was good. How do you feel like that impacted you moving forward. So when you were done, you were like, okay, cool. We accomplished this thing, which is massive, right? One year, 50 pounds is incredible, but you decided that you weren't done. So where did you pivot into after that? After that is when I decided I needed to do more than just walking on a treadmill. Uh, so I joined a gym and started implementing that into my daily routine. Amazing. And then at what point did you find me? I think I found you maybe January of last year and kind of cyber stalked you <laughs> and just watched and paid attention to what you were saying and putting out there in Instagram and decided that I needed to contact you to see what the next steps would be after, you know, working out in the gym. So once you got there, you knew that there was still a gap. So if you can recall, what were the things that you were still struggling to overcome? I was really still struggling with like confidence and believing that I could do more than what I was already doing. And I needed someone to kind of kick me in the butt when I wasn't at my full potential. And I want to break that down. So 
one thing that I love about health and fitness is that it, it empowers people to carry over into the decisions that they make on a daily basis. And you've made so many fucking changes. It's, it's so fun to watch you step into owning your shit and giving yourself permission to have a voice. Cause I know that was something that we really struggled with initially. And so I want to revert back to and explore where you were when I first met you, because one of the words that you used to describe yourself was a wallflower. So I want to talk a little bit about the insecurities that you've had prior to, and then working with me kind of where we are now. Okay. Um, before I was just, like I said, a wallflower. I, I didn't try to take up space. I was pretty quiet and was content with letting everybody else in my life be noisy and in taking up that space since working with you, I've kind of realized that I deserve so much more than I was giving myself and that I needed to really put myself out there because no one else was going to do it for me. Yes. And so one thing I like to say is we have, we all have these people in our lives and I like to call them stakeholders. Could be friends, could be family, could be relationships, could be careers. And we tend to tune out of our own authentic voice and our own authentic self and fight against our intuition because we want to appease other people. It's like the the martyr in, in the army that will jump on a grenade to sacrifice their life, to save the lives of other people or to please other people. But what people neglect to recognize is that the life that you live is not one in the military. And when you continue to put other people before yourself, you also start to forget who you are and what you want and what you like. And you suppress that voice. You suppress that intuition because you do what is right, what is valuable, what is acceptable by those around you that say, you should do that. You need to do that. That's what's right for you. That's what's best. But truly deep down, you know what is best for you. And so I want to talk about a little bit of the evolution that we've experienced in your own personal development of things and where you are now and the things that you advocate for and some of the changes that are going on in your life at this moment? At this time, I've kind of realized after listening to you, um, what I'm not willing to do in what I am. And if I'm not willing to do it for the next 10 years, then it's not something that I need to be doing right now. Whether that has to do with food, fitness, relationships, job, um, I've really taken a hard look on my career and trying to figure out if I can even do it until retirement, retirement, which is in 20 years and realizing that even though I'm passionate about helping people, I don't think where I'm at is where I need to be anymore. And that is fucking monumental. And I love this. And it's, it's really cool to see how, if you guys have listened to me for a long time, you know that I will tell people one of the things that you need to be able to do is join the dirty plate club. I think a lot of people learn how to live through life from their childhood. When you're told to finish your plate, that it's wrong to leave food on the table, right? Not to finish the meal that you order out because you spent the money. But what you don't recognize is the cost of what eating in a surplus, what consistent bad eating habits are, what maybe you're pressured by social drinking or things along those lines, right? The more that you accept the approval of other people and you don't align with your own instinct in making decisions, even if it upsets certain people, the more off track, the larger the cost is to come back from that. And we've been able to give Angela a voice 
give herself permission to speak what's on her mind and what she wants and to advocate for the things that she needs, but also to get to know yourself a little bit better, to dive in deeper of like, okay, what is it that I enjoy? What is it that I want to spend my time doing? I remember having a conversation with you around the idea, which I still find this fascinating, right? We work, we spend most of our lives working, Truly, if you really think about the amount of time that you spend in an office, if you work a nine to five, you're doing that Monday through Friday and you do that until you're 65 and then maybe you'll retire, right? It's one of those situations where we work to live instead of living to work. And we invest the most important resource that we have, which is time in order to make money so that when we have enough money, we can buy back our time, which I find to be such a fascinating complex, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like, well, if time is the most valuable thing and you're spending your time doing something that you hate, so you can achieve a certain amount of money, society deems as valuable because you need to have all these nice things and maybe you don't even like them or find them meaningful or uh, as assets in your day-to-day, but because other people will approve of you having all these things, you need to make sure that you have enough money to have all these things. And then you lose the things that matter the most, which is time and being present and having energy and being able to focus and be productive and enjoying the way that you spend your time. So Angela is now in a transition of her life, looking at different career paths and different options. And one thing I wanted you to do, and I don't know if you've done it yet, um, is think about what you would do if you could do anything. If you had a day, and this is an exercise I think everybody should do. If you had a day and you didn't have to go to work and you could spend it doing whatever you wanted to do, what would you be doing? I think when I was thinking about this last night, I really enjoy like thrifting and going to antique malls and Goodwills. And, and I think I would on a day off, which doesn't happen often enough. I think that's what I would do. So what's really cool about that. I actually have another client and I could probably connect you guys. And this is what she does. She literally goes out. She has now like a shop and stuff and she kind of collects these items and then sells them and flips them and like does all these cool things. But she, I literally was just like, we need to explore like what it is that you would do. And all of a sudden she's got this whole shop and it's like her side business and she fucking loves it. But it's like when she has free time, that's what she would choose to do. And I think a lot of people, and I'm not ever, I'm not over here advocating that everyone should just quit their job if they hate it. But what I am saying is that you never know how good you could be at something or what the potential outcome is of any pursuit if you don't have the courage to pursue it in the first place. And I think that time spent doing something that you enjoy, regardless of the monetary return, for example, when you start something early or it's new, you might not be walking in with a salary and you know that it's concrete. But if you have the time and the bandwidth to excel in something that you care about, well, the time is irrelevant. And if you know down the road, which it's true, money will come doing something because you're seeing how good and how large your skill set can be in that specific arena, which I think is fascinating. Um, And it's been cool to see how much carry over optimizing your health, taking control of your life, listening to your spider senses, your intuition, whatever you want to call it. And then the biggest thing that I see with women is, is always giving themselves permission. And I'm always so curious as to where that comes from. And so I don't know if you remember, but was it your childhood? Did it start with food? What was the kind of the catalyst to you evolving into someone that was more of a wallflower? Do you know? I pinpoint it back to, we moved when I was going into the fifth grade. So around 11 years old, um, and that move even though it was the same town, but it was across town and it was a whole new school. And 
what have you. And I just didn't handle it well. And I, for whatever reason, chose not to express that to my parents. Instead, I would just melt into the background or I would eat my feelings. Yeah. And I think a lot of women struggle with emotional eating and we've talked about this a lot, Um, but I do want to, I would, I want to explore that side of the relationship with food aspect of things. So when you were a kid, would you say that that was when that habit started was kind of emotionally eating through the discomfort of being in an environment that maybe you didn't feel safe or accepted in? Yes. Yeah, I, I did. And how long did that perpetuate for? Do you think that that's something that's been a habit your entire life since about 11? Yeah, pretty much so. So over 30 years. So tell us a little bit about that journey. I know that um, a death definitely kind of was the catalyst to amplifying that solution, right? Um, And if you guys don't understand kind of behavior, when we are in high stress environments, highly emotional states, we tend to revert back to our deepestly ingrained habits and habit loops can be positive or negative. Um, But what happens is we tend to revert back to numbing things, anything that will give you dopamine and will distract you from sitting with the emotions that you're experiencing. And so when you were a kid and you were doing these things, did anyone ever notice or say anything? Did you have the support from your family? Did you feel like you could talk to them? Talk me down that path from 11 until we met. I had a really good childhood. I just don't feel that we were open to talking about, you know, big problems or anything like mental health wise. So I hid that from all of them, you know, my sisters and my parents, um, and I would eat in, in secret. I would hide things. I would just eat when no one was around. Um, and that behavior was pretty consistent, um, up and through high school. And then, um, while I was in college, it was not the healthiest places for me to be. Um, I, would start binging more than what I, you know, what I would consider what binging as a kid. Um, and then that, you know, rolled over into different, um, programs to lose weight because I, you know, didn't want to be heavy for someone's wedding or, you know, down the road, it was my own wedding. So, you know, I would join like weight watchers or whatever to try to, miraculously get that weight off and try to like curb myself and, you know, take a hold of it because I wasn't doing it on my own. Um, and I had some success throughout, you know, my twenties and thirties on, on doing those kind of plans, but it just didn't, it didn't sit well with me. I never made it like to a goal weight or anything. I would give up way before that would happen. Um, and then, you know, like I said, my father passed in January, 2021 and the eating just got out of control. I would binge until I was sick, you know, whether I actually threw it up or just was so miserable with how much I ate, you know, I would just be sick to my stomach over it. And I, like I said, I did that probably for that six months until my um, endocrinologist suggested that um, diabetes class. 
And then it was like, I had, you know, not only a doctor who was running the program, but other people in that same kind of teetering on health problems. Cause I really wasn't diabetic at that point. I was, I was right there tiptoeing on that line and I did not want to, you know, to take medicine or, you know, have to be conscious all the time of what I was eating. So I really took it and ran with it and I figured it, it, it needed to be done. I needed to be healthier. I have, like I said, two boys and they're somewhat mimicking and watching what I'm doing. And I don't want them to struggle with their size as they get older. Absolutely. So I'm curious, just for the listener's sake, do you know how heavy you were at your heaviest? Um, about 285. And for those who don't know, we are now under 200 at this point in her journey. And we are continuing to move that needle forward one week at a time, one win at a time. But out of curiosity, so when you got into this program, did anyone ever address emotional eating or eating um, disordered patterns or anything like that? Or was it like, Hey, your health is on the edge. We need to get you into a situation. Here's a plan that we want you to follow. It it didn't really follow or gave me any direction with disordered eating. It kind of just gave us guidelines and, you know, points to ponder because we would meet every week. So it was kind of like a little homework assignment that we might have to do between, you know, appointments and report back to the group. And that group, I just felt held me accountable for that year. I want to talk a little bit about Weight Watchers and for the purposes of most people seek out these solutions, these service level solutions with these arbitrary deadlines where they just want to lose as much weight as possible to look good for their wedding, look good for summer, look good for an event, look good for something, right? Instead of thinking about, okay, I have this weight to lose. And if I'm going to lose it, I want to be able to keep it off. And so if I'm going to play the game, I want to play it for keeps. But a lot of people don't consider, again, the frame that you use, which I absolutely love. If you can't do it for a decade, there's no point in doing it for a day. Right. So tell me a little bit about what was the aftermath of Weight Watchers? And then what was the aftermath of this group? The aftermath from Weight Watchers would quite simply be that I'd pack on the weight back on eventually. It eventually came back on and it eventually got higher and higher. Um, And it would be, and I think I did Weight Watchers a total of maybe four times. And Each time I would not lose as much, but I would gain, you know, more after being done with it for whatever reason. I think I was in a better headspace when I was in the diabetes class. Um, cause I was really, you know, struck with, you know, my, I hate to keep talking about it, but my father's passing, like nothing's guaranteed. And, you know, whether I was going to be on this earth, another six months, six years, what have you, I want to make sure that I, you know, perform at the the best I can with what I've got. Absolutely. So I want to dive into a little bit of the issues with Weight Watchers, um, because I think that a lot of consumers don't know, right? They think that, oh, people love this thing. Of course, the ad spend is going to be all positive reviews and all that gimmicky shit. So I want to talk about what what about Weight Watchers did you enjoy? And what was the hard part? What was the restrictive part? What was it that didn't fit your lifestyle? Because if it did, 
right? We would have sustained what we achieved. So let's dive into that a little bit. I liked the camaraderie of the other people in the group. Um, and at least for the, the last time I did it, we, you know, got real, I got really close to a couple of the girls, the, which is something I didn't do previous times, but, you know, if, if I had weigh in on a Saturday, I barely ate on Friday and would not eat anything on Saturday until after I would weigh in. And it was just like a game on the scale every week. And my kids witnessed that. And then they would even make comments, you know, come, you know, Friday evening to be like, oh, mom can't eat tonight. She's got to weigh in tomorrow. And it just didn't sit well with me any longer. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that a lot of parents don't necessarily, especially when their kids are young, they don't think that they pick up on certain things. Right. I work with a lot of women who started dieting. I even had someone, I, I run this um, poll. And if you guys don't follow me on Instagram, make sure that you do. Cause I'm doing a lot of market research within my own following. And one of the questions that I had asked was around what got people into dieting in the first place. Like, what was that moment for them? That was like, oh, I need to like actually try to look better and be more valuable or be more attractive. And um, one of the people that responded, this female actually said that that was how her mother and her bonded when she was a kid. And they would do these different diets together. And I thought that was one, fascinating. And then two, quite sad um, because she had done multiple diets even from a young age. Um, just to start hyper-focusing on thinking that your value comes from an aesthetic and chasing these lower numbers and doing things like fasting or, you know, I've seen people do like seven day food fast, water fast, you name it, just to see the scale move. And I think that that sets a poor example, especially if you're raising boys or girls around what weight means, how important it is to look a certain way, how much we prioritize being seen as successful in the eyes of other people, right? Because you wanted to hit that low weight. You wanted to weigh in appropriately. You wanted to be successful that week, right? Even if it meant sacrificing your mental health or your physical health, physiological health, right? In the way that you could be present and interact with your family. So I want to talk about when you let go of Weight Watchers, what did you do? And what was the kind of uh, the amplifying aspect of gaining the weight back? After I gave it, it up the last time the weight, like I said, crept back on and it was really hard and frustrating to watch that scale move. It was one of those things where I was, felt out of control, couldn't figure out how to control. Cause it was like the harder I tried to control what I was eating or working out hard. So that way I could eat, you know, I, it, it was like sand through my hands. I couldn't grasp anything. Yeah. And I think that that's, did you just out of curiosity, did you engage in emotional eating when you felt that way? Like, did you notice that that tendency crept up also in alignment with the frustration or feeling like you were kind of lost in this, this vicious cycle of being broken maybe, or it's not going to work for me or I'll never get there. Did you see that amplify a little bit? Yeah, it did. And originally, you know, it might only be like once a week, but then, you know, it, it would be twice a week maybe four times a week. It just over time got worse and worse because it was like, I was trying so hard to hold on and not gain another pound. But then if the scale showed me up, I was like, well, the heck with this, I might as well eat. And I would eat whatever, whatever sounded good. 
So I think one really important point that I want to make is no one ever needs to earn their food. And that's one thing that you said is I would work out so hard and I would restrict and I would try to see it move and I would do it so I could eat. And it's like, but that is such a common psychology. We can lose our health in the pursuit of aesthetics or a weight, whatever that, whatever that goal looks like for you. Fundamentally, what we overlook is how that impacts our own health and our own physiology and our own metabolism and our own ability to show up and be present and not think about food all the time. So my curiosity is, when you were trying to do this and you were exercising a lot and you were restricting food, where was your headspace? Where was your presence with your family? Where was your work productivity? Where was your energy? Where were your thoughts focused? Were they typically on food and then working out and then the scale and then food and that kind of cycle? Yeah. And it really, it started with the scale because I would weigh myself every single day, first thing in the morning. And that's how my day would start. Whether if it was down, I had a great day. If it was up, even if it was up, you know, 0.2, I would, would be miserable the rest of the day. Um, and it really just bothered me and ate me alive, you know, quite literally while trying to, you know, shovel food in my face to try to control something. So what do you feel like fundamentally because when we think about food and we think about exercise and we think about all of these things changing your body, right? It typically stems from this desire to control something in your life. And so my curiosity is if at that point through this, through this journey for you, if you were to think about it, and I haven't asked you this before, but what do you feel like in your life was out of control? I, I go back to it starting with the move. It felt very sudden. And even though it was exciting, or at least that's how my parents like made it for us and my sisters, it just felt like I had no say I was being moved and shipped away from all my friends into a new environment. And I had no say in what was going on. That's powerful. And like I said, everybody has this thing where it's like, they want to try to execute control over something and we can always control food. We control exercise and we can kind of hyper-focus on that because we feel as though we've lost control in other arenas that are truly the root of our problems. But we don't sit to address what's actually fundamentally triggering the emotional response. And because we don't want to sit with that emotional response, we tend to lash out in self-sabotaging ways, right? So it's, I'm trying to control my dietary intake. I'm over-exercising. I'm constantly hyper-focused on the scale. It makes or breaks my day. And then at the root of that, it was because you didn't have a say, especially as a kid. This is, this is quite a complex issue because as children, you don't get to say, well, I don't want to move. I'm not going to go there. You have to go where your parents go. And so that's something that's, that's definitely hard to wrap your mind around. And then again, it kind of amplified into this, um, inappropriate, or I would say, uh, let me reframe that, um, a poor relationship with food and likely that cultivated into a poor relationship with self. And then likely uh, and I don't want to speak for you, but I'm going to guess that at some point you also lost sight of your own personal value as an individual because you had engaged in these behaviors that are carry a lot of guilt. They carry a lot of shame. Then you kind of don't want to have a voice. You don't feel like you have a voice because you didn't at that time in your life. And so maybe you're not advocating for yourself anymore. And in order to manage all of those things emotionally, we're now seeking out that dopamine hit of food. And most women, I would say, tend to gravitate towards being more emotional eaters versus, you know, men tend to be more alcohol or sex, things along those lines. Some people are into drugs, but either way, especially nowadays, there are so many vices that we can select. 
And so then you have this poor relationship with food and then you try to diet, but it's not a sustainable approach in any manner. And then we also had a poor relationship with the scale. So now I'm curious because I want them, I want the listeners to know what is your relationship with food at this point? And what is your relationship with the scale at this point? At this point with the scale, I still weigh myself every morning, but it doesn't, or I don't allow it to run my day anymore. It's more just for data. Even if it's up a little bit, I can be like, oh, it's because of the sodium firm, the Mexican I ate the night before. Like I know it's not a pound of fat. It's just extra water weight on me and it's going to come right back off. And I look at food more as fuel for my body to work out. And I don't try to hyper-focus on it at all. And I mean, even as recent as today, it was like, all I wanted is a box of Girl Scout cookies. And it was just because of nerves, but I was like, that's not going to solve anything. And I can talk myself out of it most, most times at this point. Yeah, no, that's fucking incredible. Were the nerves from the podcast? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) See everybody, everybody gets nervous about different things, but It's the framework that you used that's allowed you to overcome a lot of these things. And from what it sounds like is the education on understanding scale fluctuations has how you, has allowed you to detach the gravity of emotions. That doesn't mean that we like what we see on the scale every day, but at least that spike or drop doesn't carry so much emotional weight where we then decide to engage in self-sabotaging behaviors that won't allow it to move the way that we want it to. I want to talk about where we want to go. So where we are now and the things that we've learned and all the things that you've overcome, what is the biggest thing that you've learned since working with me? What are the, some of the biggest goals that you've achieved that you're very proud of yourself for and you should be very proud of yourself for? And then what, where are we going forward from here? Working with you has really opened my eyes and given me kind of like a little like person in my ear when I'm trying to figure out food or fitness or just making you know life choices. I keep hearing you when I'm like, I don't think I should be doing this, but then I'm like, well, but if I'm not willing to continue doing this, should I be doing it? You know, so I'm weighing out my options and, and it's more than just food and fitness at this point, you know, it's a little bit of everything. When I started this last year and a half, I really didn't have a goal. I kind of still don't have a goal of where I want to be. I just know I deserve better and more. And I know my body can do more than what it's doing at this point. I'm so fucking proud. If you guys are watching the video, you're probably like, Kate, you're cheesing so hard, but it's true. Like I wish that you guys could know when I first met Angela and I I still have her onboarding notes, just where she was in her life and her relationships and her career and her self-worth and her boundary setting and her ability to have a voice, take up space, take a compliment. That was something that we really struggled through together. And so now, you know, one of the biggest reasons that I love starting with the foundation of food is because it's really the catalyst to a lot of the decisions that we make. If you can't push away a dirty plate because you're actually full, because you feel obligated to finish the meal because your grandmother made it for you, you know, that's a stakeholder in your life that drives decisions. And we tend to play by these golden rules of our lives, but then you find yourself living to appease other people instead of giving yourself an authentic voice and going, well, wait, what do I actually want? How do I want to spend the next decade of my life? What are things that I want to pursue that I find meaningful? And also knowing that it is your obligation to yourself to find out all that it is that you could be. And I think a lot of people, and one thing I want to expand on 
is that you said, I don't really have a goal. And I think that that's the most empowering yet scary thing for people to, to have. It's like, I know I'm not the best that I could be. And I know I can make these shifts. But if I don't have a deadline, then what? And it's like, well, what if you do it just to get 1% better by taking one action every single day that will amount to you becoming better in the future? And one of the exercises that we did was identifying who it is you want to become, right? Versus who you are, right? And then bridging the gap between the two. So it's a constant evolution, but the deadline is negligible because like you said earlier, you don't know if you have six minutes, six months, six days, six years, 60 years, right? You have no idea how much time you have left. And so I think that's a very powerful thing, but knowing that you don't have a deadline at first, did that make you nervous? Did it make you question the pursuit or were you like in a place fundamentally already from our time working together to go, I know I'm not done yet. After that diabetes class, I mean, that gave me like a goal of a whole year after that point where I wasn't sure where I was going to go next. I knew there was something more, but I didn't know what it is. And then I think since the working with you, it's given me more of a guiding light that I know I deserve more. I need to do more that I'm not done, but I hate to place a number, you know, like I'm not going to be done until I hit 165 pounds. That's what my driver's license says. It has said that since I was 16 and would that be perfect in a perfect world? Maybe, but I don't know if I'd be happy there. Yeah. And so I'm just not trying to focus on that number anymore. I think if I could describe the journey that we've gone through and the one that we're hyper-focused on amplifying, it is truly you being completely aligned in your authentic self and really expanding on who is Angela and who can she be and how good can she get and how far can she go, right? And I think that that is the exciting pursuit because like you having the courage to take a compliment, to take a picture, to be on a newspaper, I still have that picture, Right. And then now it's like advocating for yourself, openly setting boundaries, saying, no, I demand more if I'm going to be here. I'm not sure if this is the job that I want for me. Right. All of those things, Mm -hmm. it starts with building the confidence to push away a plate. And so I want to talk about your confidence because that's something that we mentioned earlier. Talk about where you were on a confidence level when I first met you and where you are now and some of the things that you still struggle with. Before being with you, And even at the very, very beginning, I could not take a compliment, not at all. I would shun it. I would downplay it. I would not accept it. Um, It made me very, very uncomfortable because it was bringing me out of being a wallflower and I didn't have the confidence to accept any of it or felt that I deserved to have a compliment, you know, whether it's, you know, Oh, you, you've lost weight or I like your outfit. I I just couldn't take that compliment before, you know, working with you. And I still struggle on times, but I'm trying very hard to accept them, to thank the person. And if they've got questions, not to, you know, to actually answer them and not downplay how hard I've worked because it's been, you know, a year and a half and it's not been always easy. It's never easy, but it is always worth it. And it's been really cool. Like I said, some of the most fascinating things, and this is why I wanted to have you on here is like, as much as I can share someone's journey, it's not the same as hearing it from them. And so if someone's listening to this podcast and they are in the same shoes that you were, maybe they've tried the Weight Watchers, maybe they've even been put on a dietary program. What would you tell them 
like you would have told yourself back then if they don't believe it's possible? I think that we don't give ourselves enough credit um, that we need to push forward even when it's the most uncomfortable thing to do. And if you don't feel that you can do it on your own, you need to reach out to you know others that can help you, guide you, coach you through it. So that way you can be your best authentic self. Angela, I appreciate you so much for coming on here, for having the courage to do so. This is another win. This is the promise of one, one better action, one better step, one further behavior. Next time, guys, we'll bring on another guest. I can't wait for you to hear that story. But until then, check out Angela. I will link her Instagram below. You can follow me as well. If you guys are interested in coaching, I will link the application below for you as well. Angela, say goodbye to the people. And we'll, we'll talk see to you later. You.